Philadelphia's premier presenter of contemporary performing arts. I'm Raina Searles, marketing manager here at Fringe Arts, and I'm joined today by Jennifer Shorstein, our individual giving manager. And today we invite you to pour one up and enjoy our conversation with some of the most imaginative people on this plane of existence. Over the course of 2020, here on Happy Hour on the Fringe, we've talked with creatives of all disciplines during a global pandemic series, our 2020 Fringe Festival episodes, and every episode in between. As this crazy year comes to a close and a new year begins, our conversations on the podcast will be about reflection as well as looking forward to the future of Fringe Arts with some guests who are closely involved with our organization. Today, we are joined by Juliana Carter, our newest board member as of this summer and co-chair of our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, as well as a litigation associate with Ballard Spar LLP and a volunteer attorney with the Support Center for Child Advocates. Welcome, Juliana. Hey, Raina. How are you? Doing well, doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I have officially relocated to my mom's house in North Carolina for the remainder of 2020 and the holiday season. So um, long trip, but really nice to be here in middle of nowhere. You know, look out the window and see some trees little change of scenery from my Fishtown views. Yeah, and I'm curious because did you kind of skip over the the big Philly snow we had? Oh, I was here. And in fact, I had to dig my car out in order to get out of town, <laughs> um, which was interesting. I, I got a car specifically during the pandemic, like as a, you know, get out of Dodge escape plan. Um, and it's been great because it's, allowed me to come home several states away, you know, when I usually would have jumped on an airplane. So it works out. But no, I did get to enjoy the snow. Um, and I'm glad to be leaving before it gets dirty as it <laughs> tends to get over time. Yeah, it's I will say it's also melting a little bit already. I was walking by a field and it was like two kind of sad looking snowmen and then a lot of green grass starting to sprout up. So we're we're on the tail end, it seems. <laughs> the snowmen I saw were still happy when I left, so I'm relieved to have that that vision with me. That's good. Um, well, since this is happy hour on the fringe, um, you know, one of our first questions is always, "What are we drinking today?" I'm drinking some Swiss Miss hot cocoa. With, you know, it's the two packets that are connected. One's the mix and one's the marshmallows, although it's oh, like yeah. suspect what they're actually made out of. Oh, that's um, amazing. Very seasonal, very wholesome beverage. <laughs> no, that, that sounds very warm and cozy. Um, right now, I, I'm just having water. Uh, we were talking before we started recording, but I was looking for a, a post office drop box. And so I ended up taking a, a longer walk than expected this uh, afternoon. But uh, we're back, we're settled, we're, we're rehydrating. Uh, but it was also, we're in that time period where it's like cold outside, but then as soon as you start walking a lot, you get hot and you don't know if you want to take off your coat or not. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I'm refreshing. Jen, what are you having? I'm enjoying a crisp bottle of San Pellegrino right now. Oh, sounds very refreshing. 
Go so hydrated. I may, I may switch to hot chocolate after this, though. <laughs> Glad to be inspiring. <laughs> So Juliana, um, just to give our audiences a little bit uh, more on your background and and kind of what led you to where we are today, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, your career, your life has shifted this year and and any kind of highlights or or lowlights you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a lawyer and I've been at my law firm, Ballard Spar, for about three years. Um, and I got connected with Nick, um, our founder and CEO, um, in, I guess it was late January, early February of this year, through one of my colleagues, um, a, a partner at the firm, one of my favorite people. And um, he goes way back with Nick. They used to coach little league together for their kids. Um, And so he linked me up with Nick, um, who I guess was looking for a new board member. And um, so, I mean, really joining the board has been a huge highlight of my 2020. I was elected to the board, I believe in March of this year. Um, And it was shortly after the world shut down because the meeting was via Zoom. And I think that it had maybe initially been scheduled to be in person and then was moved to the digital platform. Um, it's all sort of a haze. I'm sure you can understand uh, dates wise, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, my involvement with fringe has been a huge highlight of my 2020 and sort of kicked the year off in a really nice way. Um, Because, you know, for a long time, I moved to Philly in 2013, right after college to go to law school. And my life in Philly has been so focused on the law, you know, my career, either going to school or now like building my career, being in the early stages of it. And so I haven't really gotten to see the forest for the trees in Philly, even though Mm. I know it's a great city and I have gotten to explore it in different ways. I've definitely eaten my way through Philly. Um, But (laughs) I'd always heard of Fringe Arts and Fringe Festival um, and thought, you know, oh, that's great. And then fallen sort of back into my little law bubble or immediate circle bubble. Um, So this has been really neat to to get involved with the Philadelphia arts community in a way that feels really impactful. And for an organization that I think is objectively the coolest arts organization in Philly. Um, But, you know, 2020 stinks. Um, Yeah. Uh (laughs) (laughs) To state the obvious um, and to use a, 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 more PG word than I probably would otherwise use if we weren't recording uh, for mass consumption. Um, I lost my beloved kitty cat, Missy, um, from old age, but you know, Mm -hmm. she was like my companion throughout all of this. And then uh, she passed away. Um, I feel like um, I live alone other than my pets and feeling like totally isolated and totally like there's there's no one to turn to 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 just watch tv with Mm -hmm. there's no one to turn to and say 
you know, what the hell? Um, but in some ways, it's forced me to pick up the phone and talk to people more often, check in with people. Um, and I've gotten to really nest in my house. Um, I work long hours and my tendency has sort of been to come home to a mess and, and sort of just ignore it because I'm just out the door again the next day for work or even on the weekend, like being a weekend warrior and being like, I'm going to go out of town and visit friends or I'm going to go see a concert or whatever. And now that I've been home and everything is sort of focused here on my home, I feel like I've really gotten to put, you know, I've, I've hung art on the walls and I've organized. And now I really feel like my house is an extension of myself and I feel good and comfortable in the space. I turned my junk room into a home office um, that I actually enjoy sitting and working in. So, yeah, I mean... That, I think, becoming self-reliant and um, I'm I'm nicer to myself and I'm taking better care of myself than I ever have in 2020. I love that. Um, I'm also also really curious because you mentioned that you tend to work long hours. Have you found that um, you're still kind of getting that work-life separation or are you like sending emails and then just kind of going until suddenly you realize it's time for dinner and I don't know, back to work? Or are you like actually taking the time to say, okay, work is over. I'm stepping out of my office. I'm kind of, you know, going somewhere else and and distancing. Yeah. I think I have as part of being nicer to myself overall, I think that I've set better boundaries for myself because without the physical separation of saying, okay, I'm going to work. And when I leave the office, I'm done. Um, Now it's like I'm living at work. And so, you know, having to cut myself off and saying, okay, it's seven o'clock. Like, it's time to it's time to relax, time to recharge. Um, It's sort of made me think more about like, what really needs to get done now. And like, you know, putting the oxygen mask on myself first so that I'm not like going through this constant cycle of, of like working myself to the bone and then feeling like I have to take a break because I've like exhausted myself. Um, I think that that has certainly been a product of, of having no physical boundary, no line of demarcation between where my life starts and ends as it relates to my job. That is so important right now. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, sheesh, I don't know if I would have like found the time to make myself do this for myself if I wasn't forced to. And I think that that has sort of thematically come up for a lot of people in a lot of different ways this year. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, second that. Um, I think that I think it's it's I think I've been really good about kind of turning work off at a certain time this year. But what to be fair, I've never really been good at is my my eating schedule. And so like taking a lunch break, even when we were in office was always kind of like a spotty thing where like I'd be eating at my desk or this and that. And then 
I think when I shifted over to remote, I was immediately like, ah, like, well, I'm working and I'm working and I'm working. And then suddenly it's like 4 p.m. And I'm like, I should have lunch. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, it, it's so important to like also like remember that you can take a step away from the computer and that like if you're not responding to an email in 10 minutes, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, and there are plenty of other things to keep us occupied uh, in in this time. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's totally fair. Um, and so I know, obviously, Fringe Arts this year has had a very different look in terms of programming and seeing shows and, and getting to experience different parts of Fringe. Um, but I'm curious to know, just like from your time with us so far, do you have any kind of favorite or really memorable moments, whether it's on the show side or on, you know, the board committee side? Well, both for sure. I have to say, um, so before I was formally invited um, or, or voted onto the board, I had the opportunity on February 28th, right before everything shut down, to enjoy the fabulous Get Pegged Cabaret, which was hosted by Martha Graham Cracker. And the uh, the performers were PJ Brown and Molly Pope. Mm-hmm. And that has been a highlight of 2020 also. I mean, you know, usually by now I would have seen like 25 performances, um, mostly at like Union Transfer or the Fillmore. But even still, like, this has been such a highlight. Um, It was so fabulous. It was so much fun. Um, And uh, so definitely, that was a great introduction to the type of performances that happen at Fringe Arts. Um, And then from the committee side, I just think that getting involved with the diversity equity and inclusion committee has been such a privilege and getting to know um, my board colleagues in a different way um, than and, and in a more intimate way for everybody, you know, staff and, and board in, included, you know, we're, we're getting to dig into, you know, different topics about the, the organization as it is today and the organization as we want to see it be become or, or maintain in the future. Um, it's just been a great experience. I've gotten to know you, Raina and Jennifer on a better level. And just, it shows, it's shown me that fringe arts is not only a great organization for what it, the performances that it puts on, but like it's made up of really great people who are very thoughtful and progressive and who just are people that I want to spend time with. So that's been really neat. Yeah, no, I, I full full heartedly agree with that. I think um, the team here is an incredible and it's so great to get to work with them. And even through this year, we've done an incredibly unexpected amount of like problem solving in, uh, a way that I certainly didn't expect going into this year. It was one of those things where like I was going into my uh, fourth Fringe Festival now and I was like, I know the deal. I know how this works. We're in 
we had just finished our second Blue Heaven Comedy Festival. We're doing our second High Pressure Fire Service Festival, our third Hand to Hand Circus Festival this year. You know, I've got it on lock and then uh, kind of everything, everything changed and everything blew up. And then just seeing how our team has been able to adapt has been uh, so awesome. And, and I think, you know, the DEI committee is something that has changed shape so many times and has worked really hard to be responsive uh, and, and also, you know, preemptive and, and making sure that we're ideally addressing things even before they happen. Um, but, you know, I think even Fringe Arts has faced a number of challenges this year that uh, were brought up by the conversation around Black Lives Matter and around um, police brutality and like, what is our role in that? And, and, you know, what voices can we help uplift in, in this conversation? And so, you know, there's been a lot circling uh, internally and externally, and it's, it's really been great to be able to work on, on advancing that within the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that's happened internally and externally, and, and something that you just alluded to, Reina, is that we've all been forced to take ourselves off of autopilot and say, okay, actually, maybe like, I have an opportunity to really look at what I'm doing, and look at what's happening around me. And just like, assess it in a way where like, you have some distance from it. Because it's not like, you know, if, if, if Fringe Arts, if, if Fringe Festival went off this year the same way as it's always gone, it's like you probably would have just done the things that you know to do from year to year. And, you know, having to adapt and, and adjust and pivot sort of allows the space to be like, what do I really want to be doing here? Or like, how does this actually work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think you know, one question, and it's a little bit, you know, two-pronged, uh, but, you know, Philadelphia's performing arts scene and, and the entire arts economy, uh, both nationally and globally, has been really hard hit by the pandemic and by, you know, uh, very necessary, like, health and safety restrictions and the lack of any sort of you know, strong funding efforts. And so, you know, the future is is very up in the air in a lot of ways. And so I'm curious, you know, this is definitely a hard question, but I'm curious about what you think the future might hold for Fringe and perhaps performing arts more broadly. And, you know, if you have any thoughts on that path to recovery and rebuilding. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's sort of two ways to think about it in terms of sort of like the mechanics and then also the more heady thought of like, you know, mechanics of like, how do we safely reopen and how do we, how do we incorporate the virtual model that we've gotten more familiar with this year with bringing back in-person performances um, and, and what that looks like, what capacity can we do it at? Um but I think that, you know, I think for me, the more sort of interesting philosophical <laughs> existential thought is like, when, what, like human behavior, when are we going to feel safe? When are we going to feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. 
And that's so hard to predict. And I think something I've seen this year is that people feel so differently about the same issue. Um, You know, even like the vaccine right now, like people are eager to take it. People are eager not to take it. Um, And then like, what does that really mean in terms of reopening? There's been so many, I've stopped trying to guess what's happening tomorrow. Um, But I feel optimistic um, about the future of performing arts in general and definitely the future of fringe arts. Like I, for one, as someone who loves to go to shows, like I can't wait until the day that I can be in a crowded auditorium, um, you know, enjoying a performance like that. I cannot wait. I can't wait to like hug random strangers again without feeling weird about it. Can't wait to just like watch and consume art without abandon and like really allow myself to be transported to another place. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, like I, I, I think people probably feel the same who were going to shows before are eager to get back to some semblance of what life was like before. And that's not to say that like, I'm a proponent of let's get back to normal. Um, I, you know, <laughs> normal was not the normal that we think about of before 2020, like wasn't working in a lot of ways. Like, right. and so, you know, I'm thinking more of like, how do I reconnect with the things in my life that have always brought me joy that have helped me to grow and think more expansively um and any consumer of the arts and I think you know any person with a heart feels like performing arts and and being part of a an audience and being able to to connect with other people about the different art that you've consumed and enjoyed all of those things like I'm ready to get back to and I think others will be too in due time um and who knows if that will be next year or next week um but I know that at some point it'll happen Juliana I hear you talking about my performance like that literally just gave me chills oh (laughs) I really feel that way I really do like there's so much in this world that is awful and 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 the opposite of uplifting and inspiring and it's for me all about finding moments in life that are foils to the horrible and we have the opportunity to do that for ourselves that's the gift that we give ourselves is being able to go to places like fringe arts and um to connect with the art and to feel less alone that is really what art does for me it makes me feel less alone because when I see a performance that like resonates with me or a comedian makes a joke that I laugh at because I'm like oh that's too true um that is what makes me feel like being human isn't all that bad yeah I I think that's so true um, I, I'm even thinking like during the Fringe Festival, we had so many people, um, you know, in our surveys and even in like chats for different shows saying, 
you know, that it was great to kind of feel like you were in a crowd and, you know, even though so much of it was virtual, um, like you felt like you were watching it with other people and reacting in real time with other people, which, you know, you, you don't get anymore. And um, one of the shows, uh, I believe it was called Porter Perspective. Um, and it was set in a gallery window. And so people watched from outside, you know, masks on, socially distant, but like could be viewing the performance through this window. And one of our coworkers, well, Zach, who's one of the hosts of this podcast as well, said that when everyone kind of like clapped together at the end, he almost cried because it was like, you know, it'd been like seven to eight months since he had been with other people sharing like a live in-person experience um and and it and like got emotional about it and I think that's something that I I think to your point like is such an integral part of the human experience is our ability to share things and relate to each other and and feel things together and that's definitely something that like I miss too I think during the Fringe Festival, and I, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before too, but like on the first night I was like folding laundry in my apartment while watching a show and I was like, this feels anticlimactic in some ways. Um, and I loved still being able to get that virtual experience, but I was also, I'm, you know, it's my fault for folding laundry. I could have been <laughs> sitting down more in the game. <laughs> Um, but I think like, you know, it's like when I'm watching Netflix at home, I'll be multitasking. And so I think it puts it on the same level of like, you know, having something on in the background to an extent versus like fully immersing yourself. Right. Uh, <laughs> which happens when you actually leave the house to go do something. Yeah. When you're sitting in a dark theater and you, you would be a total asshole to like look at your phone or do something different than, than pay attention to exactly what you're there to pay attention to. Um, it, right. It's, it's totally different than being in your house, which like is our, I mean, in some ways it's like our safe havens and other ways, maybe this year it's felt like our, like, <laughs> like imprisoning at times, um, uh, since we've been so confined to them. Um, but yeah, it, it is, but sometimes, you know, you have those moments too, where the performance that's on in the background is so compelling that like you stop folding midway or mm -hmm. like it, it it's just it's you know and sometimes we just aren't open to that because we just have way too much going on but being like okay I'm gonna leave the house I'm gonna go do this I'm gonna go do that um is a way to just like you know again like disconnect ourselves from these different siloed parts of ourselves like who Juliana is at home, who she is at the office, who she is at La Pe you know, at Get Pegged, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and being able to really, like, immerse ourselves that way. Um, I had a similar experience during the Fringe Fest. I watched, um, I enjoyed Legal Tender, mm -hmm. and that was a really cool performance because the performers were, like, basically – they they took us on a on a walk around the city and you know so they were just like walking past other random people doing their performance but it felt almost like you were facetiming with somebody 
who was like on their way to do something else. And then at the end, it sort of, it, it morphed into being like, you know, watching this performer, like in a way that sort of broke the barrier between a performance and just being someone walking on the street, like sharing something with you about themselves. It sort of like, it then turned into a video that was super ethereal and uh, sort of weird and interesting. Um, and that was like really a cool way that I saw, you know, an artist sort of blend the reality of what was going on for us um, with the traditional immersive artsy experience that you might have expected to see like happen in a theater. Um, so right. that was a really fun experience. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, I think, you know, one of one of the things that I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on is, you know, looking at, at the the quote unquote other side of the pandemic, whenever that is, do you foresee any possible positive changes for the the performing arts community that are kind of coming out of the adaptations and and kind of lessons that we've started to learn during this time? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it's hard. I, I think the answer to that is yes. And I'm, I'm going to share with you what I think. But I also want to give the disclaimer that I am like a huge uh, dissenter against this like toxic positivity that people have sometimes of being like, here's a silver lining or like everything happens for a reason. Like, I don't believe that at all. Um, <laughs> so like, I just... I feel like I have to say that because I like not not to be a Debbie Downer, but like I really I actually think that toxic positivity like that and this like, you know, everything, everything is uh, meant to be or something like that. I think that actually comes from a place of privilege that is really disconnected from the reality of things. Um, and I've always felt that way, but I think sometimes it's also easy for, for me at least to be like, you know, when someone asks me how I'm doing to be like, great. And, you know, narrator in the background, things were not great. Um, and so I think maybe, um, sort of like on, you know, on some level, I think that from the performing arts point of view um from fringe arts point of view and from like the way that things that have happened this year are going to hopefully lead to something positive in the future um maybe it's like feeling more connected to our own humanity and and to others the, the humanity of others um being able to have more candid conversations about like the things are not awesome, like things are not great. Um, and not like shy away from that as being something that's taboo, or something that might make, you know, it, it like being less like socially uncomfortable with being real about what's going on for you and like what's going on in the world. Um, and sort of seeing how that like might bleed into the level of vulnerability that we see in art and in in life um I think that 
um, something that was already on Fringe Arts' radar, I've learned through our DEI work, has been accessibility of art. Um, and I think that having uh, more comfortability with the digital platform and thinking about how to be agile and um, adapt to a different climate and world, um, thinking about how to, a way to reach audiences in untraditional ways has will hopefully lead to that in the future. Like, how do we make our art and performances and organization more accessible to people who, like, can't necessarily show up? Um, and also, like, when we do reopen and when we do start to have in-person performances, like, how do we think about accessibility in real life, too? Yeah, well, I mean, I think to your point about accessibility, I think there's definitely like so many little things that we've learned along the way in terms of like virtual accessibility. And, you know, it's everything from including the link to access, like everywhere possible <laughs> um, and making sure that we have captions and, and you know, options for, uh, you know, live captioning as well. But even just like, something as as simple as putting uh the the time zone in our emails and communications we had a number of times people were like oh i logged in at this time but it wasn't live and it's like oh uh thank you for coming to us from california uh we are <laughs> presenting everything on eastern time and you know how can we reach people and make sure that we are being accessible to people from whatever standpoint um and and that's something that has been a part of our work since before the pandemic and uh but i think there's also things that you know plenty of people who are just in different situations are blind to because it's not part of their everyday reality and and then there's so much that was new to a lot of people uh in general and so yeah this has been a huge learning experience i think for us especially in terms of accessibility and, and ways that we can keep serving different communities on a broader scale yeah, and and thinking about like, you know, I think that on an individual level and also organizationally, I think we've all been posed the question of like, what are we doing during the revolution uh, or a time that's felt a little mm -hmm. apocalyptic? Um, what are we doing? Are we doing what we say that we want to be doing? And we've had this enormous resurgence in a social justice, a racial justice movement this year. Um, and in, in thinking about like, what are we doing? Are we doing the things that we want to be doing? Um, you know, something that struck me when I first got involved with the organization and was invited to co-chair the DEI committee was in talking to the staff and the, the sentiment that Fringe Arts wants to internally and externally be an anti-racist organization, like the recognition that it's not enough to be not racist, but we need to actually be anti-racist, mm -hmm. like that floored me. Like what an incredible sentiment and what a great community and like staff that Fringe Arts is, is has for people to be that thoughtful. Um, and, you know, I think that a lot of organizations have realized that 
they're being looked at internally and externally with a more critical eye around like, what are they doing to advance racial justice and social justice? Um, and the fact that like we have a staff who has, has been thinking about that and who is thinking about it, um, I think has been incredible to be a part of. And, you know, relatedly in like a more broad or abstract sense, I think that uh, this year has allowed many of us to be more thoughtful about each other. Um, we're a lot more considerate about like, what what can I do to make sure that I'm not harming someone else? And, you know, from like a global health perspective, that's been wearing a mask, that's been social distancing, that, that's been canceling that vacation you wanted to go to, or just like not being a jerk, walking in the street, like being inconsiderate of people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that also will serve us in the future because like organizationally and societally, we're thinking about we're thinking further than the tip of our nose and we're thinking about how our actions impact others and we're being more thoughtful about like what are people's experiences that might not be my personal experience but like that is very real and that I should care about um and so I think that um moving forward in a way where we never forget about this moment. Like we never forget about the need to be considerate of others, the need to be inclusive um, and, and making, you know, and holding ourselves accountable to the ways that we felt in this moment and the things that we said that we wanted to do now, making sure that that carries forward. And I think that fringe arts is really committed to that, you know, an example or, um, exemplary of that is the fact that Paul Wright, uh, our colleague on the board and the co-chair with me on the DEI committee, um, you know, Paul and I are now, um, as of recently, part of the executive board for the organization. And I think that that speaks volumes, like not only symbolically as leaders of the DEI committee, but also practically because, you know, we we want to eventually have Fringe Arts be an organization that like is, and I'm cribbing this from Paul, who is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but the idea that like we're working towards not having a DEI committee, like because DEI committees should not be a thing. Like being an inclusive, thoughtful, equitable, and multicultural organization should not be like a siloed task. It should be inherent and integral in everything that we do. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I think that that's like a step in the right direction for the future. And of course, not everybody has, has taken this moment uh, in history to be thoughtful of other people. Um, but I think certainly me personally and also I think what I've seen from Fringe Arts is that um, we have we have taken this moment for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a, a really kind of great note to end on. Um, 
And so I'll just kind of leave it open. Is there anything else that you are thinking about going into the new year? Um, it can be about fringe arts. It can be any personal resolutions, um, anything you're looking forward to or looking forward to leaving behind <laughs> in 2020. Hmm. An interesting question, particularly like the leaving behind. Um, you know, also today is the winter solstice. So it's a perfect day to set intentions for going forward and thinking about leaving behind the things that no longer serve us. And I think that, um, gosh, I mean, I can't think of a better thing to try to carry forward with me than being nice to myself and being nice to other people and thinking about things beyond myself, um, continually reassessing and reevaluating, like, what am I doing? What's my place in the world? Um, how am I contributing to leave behind a better world than what I was born into? Um, and just trying to do like the next right thing and, um, give space between action and reaction. Um, and also to remember that like, uh, being, being a part of social change and, and a revolution is like, you have to constantly be thinking about uh, what am I doing to further that today? Like, it's not a one and done thing. Um, being anti-racist or or being just like a, a good person is like, you don't just do a good deed and then say, well, I've filled my quota. Like, you're you're trying to do something every single day and take every action with thoughtfulness. Um so that's that's my goal. Um, maybe it's a little heady or or woo. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to continually like look at myself and look at the world and look at others and like look at myself in a way that's not all about myself. Getting out of my own head, um, and and seeing how I can help other people and um I don't know just contribute good things um I am definitely going to will into action live performances next year nothing would make me happier than being able to be in like a crowded audience with a killer performance I'm I'm 100% gonna will that into existence for 2021 that we can all do that safely we can all you know, give each other hugs without abandon. And like, y'all, do you realize that we've, the three of us have never met? Well, no, Jen, you and I met at the Get Pegged Cabaret. Like, yeah. Raina, you and I have never met offline. That is That true. is a good goal <laughs> for like safely meeting Raina in the new year. <laughs> I love that. I'll make that goal as well. <laughs> Preach, for real. <sighs> so. Yeah. Well, Juliana, 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Happy Hour on the Fringe. Thanks to all of our listeners. We're wishing everyone a happy new year. Um, hopefully you're able to celebrate it in some way, even if it's not how you might normally be celebrating the new year. Um, but we encourage everyone to follow us on social media, download the Fringe Arts app, and you know, sign up for our email list to stay up to date on what live events we hopefully have in our future, um, and any virtual as well. And uh, yeah, happy holidays from everyone at Fringe Arts. Thank you.